From high atop Rocky Road in Moab, Utah, it's KZMU News. I'm Molly Marcello. It's Friday, May 5th. The KZMU community is welcoming a new general manager. Barbara Rakes comes to the station with a whole lot of experience in community work, rural advocacy, and media. She has a unique blend of skills that all will come in handy for this particular leadership role. Today on the news, we get to know Barbara and what she's thinking about these first few weeks on the job. But first, an introduction. You're introducing yourself to all sorts of different people mm-hmm. around town, and we just came off of Radiothon. You met, like, Global, about 100 people, probably. Yeah, at and, least. So tell us about, like, introducing yourself to folks and your name in particular, mm-hmm. because I think a lot of people might not be familiar with Swedish names. Yeah, so my first name is Swedish, and it's pronounced um, to Americans, Barbro. So you're, like, taking your bro over to a bar, Barbro, <laughs> and that's um, that's how you can say it. If my grandmother or grandfather were here, they'd say, Barbro. <laughs> Would they do the trilling of the R's? Mm-hmm. Wow. Yeah. Barbro. So I'm not expecting anyone to do that. Unless and there's, you know, Swedes out there. Yeah. Then you know. you're allowed. Yeah. yeah. Or, or if you really want to try, then then that's fine. But it's totally, yeah, you can call me Barbro and I will answer. Um, and my last name is pronounced Rakus. And that is actually um, Eastern European. So my other side of my family was from Slovakia. So that's where all of that comes from. Well, thank you for, for mm-hmm. talking about that. Now, let's talk about your work history a little bit. Okay. Um, and what set you up for being general manager of this wild radio station. Mm-hmm. Um, I know that you have um, history in the creative fields with filmmaking and writing. Mm-hmm. I know that you have experience in government organizations. Mm -hmm. managing grants. Um, Tell us a little bit about your work background. So, yeah, I have a pretty varied background, and this job has, like, a lot of hats to wear. So everything I've done has sort of led up to now. It really fits in. Um, I would say there is kind of a common thread of advocacy and self-expression and making sure everyone who has a story to tell can tell it. Mm. Um, I started out in University of Washington working for the medical school and an opportunity came up to go to Alaska and work in a rural advocacy um, health training program and that role quickly um, fed into media because it was kind of a controversial program training a a mid-level dental provider so that was never been done before in the United States so I ended up having to think of ways to use media that would translate to people in Washington, D.C., people in, like, just America, because Alaska kind of isn't thought of as America Mm. in a lot of ways, and also makes sense to people in the program and actually people on the ground. So it had to appeal to people who were uh, indigenous living in Alaska villages all the way to someone making policy in Washington, D.C., and so it was a really fun challenge, um, and I learned media skills, um, which went into film producing. And then that led to, um, I came back to Seattle, and I worked again for the medical school and produced another web program helping translate a program that was specifically aimed for vets returning from Iraq and Afghanistan, like people who were medics in the Army could build on that training and become physician assistants. So to get word out about that, we did a web series. So I, 
experienced interviewing that crowd and that was just so amazing and absolutely eye-opening um, and then that led to just full-time work in the film industry as crew where I worked up the ranks to assistant director yeah so that was kind of my my work history in a nutshell so uh, you've sort of mm-hmm. always been at the intersection of like communication mm-hmm. and um, getting people information that they need or self-expression as you said yeah and one of my favorite projects in Alaska, I learned to facilitate what what's called digital storytelling workshops. Um, if that I don't know if that's familiar to you, it, it used to be called Story Center in Berkeley. Okay. Maybe it's something different now. Um, it's taking any free media and any device that's readily accessible to a community um, and teaching uh, how to basically tell your own story using images and your own narrative. Wow! And it's a very powerful tool. Um, mm-hmm. It's used in a lot of communities and so I identified you know what was most readily available to people in villages and we identified everybody's using um, a phone so I got to it was really exciting to lead workshops and I saw people just kind of own their stories and it was both process and product they could then take the stories back and give them to people who needed to hear it so yeah it's definitely intersected in ways to help people get to express what they want to express and also make what's there translate to whoever needs to hear it in the right way. So, you know, that's a through line for your work and also creative life. Mm -hmm. Now, I also want listeners to know that you have experience in accounting and (laughs) grant management, too, which is also coming into play Mm -hmm. in this world as well. Yeah. Um, one of my first jobs in the film industry was uh, as an assistant accountant on an indie film that was being shot in Seattle. And I learned all about uh, f- making something that someone pulled out of thin air in their imagination into a real life thing. And it, it involves everything from running toilets to, <laughs> um, you know, uh, paying actors. Like, And so it just, mm-hmm. it was head spinning stuff and and running that and doing payroll that was really fun you know it's like setting up a small factory for a couple of months to all Mm -hmm. these moving parts and getting that and paying all the unions Mm -hmm. and all their negotiated rates and and things that you had to keep in mind like constantly so that was that was a fun challenge um and yeah grant writing was part of my work especially in alaska and managing some of the health grants up there so yeah Now, you talked a little bit about your time in Alaska and Seattle, Mm -hmm. and most recently you were in Salt Lake. Mm -hmm. And how long have you been in in, in Utah? I came down during the pandemic because our work had stopped. Mm -hmm. And that's when I decided to start getting back into screenwriting for fun. And um, I just ended up staying because I met my partner here and... So, you know, one thing led to another, and I, I guess I live here now, <laughs> so, which is, <laughs> I hear that a lot from people. I, it's like, I came here for a week to ski, mm-hmm. and that was 30 years ago, and that's, right. you hear that a lot in Salt Lake. Yeah. Same in Moab, you know, yeah. people have stories about coming to go biking or hiking, mm-hmm. or maybe they're here, they think they're going to have a seasonal job for six months, and then 10 years later, <laughs> yeah. they're here. <laughs> yeah, it just, uh-huh. it happens, and I've embraced it. Right. So, okay. So I do want to talk to you about, you know, deciding to apply for the KZMU GM executive director job. You know, what intrigued you about this position initially? So something really spoke to me. Uh, 
maybe it had to do with I had uh, I was sick with COVID (laughs) (laughs) and feeling like you know just really had had the time to ponder uh, what kind of job I wanted to do I needed to have a job that tapped into my skills and I was craving um, the work with media and people again and I don't know. I was just mindlessly scrolling Instagram and I saw a job ad and I thought, you know, this fits everything I've ever done. Maybe I'll just throw my name in the hat, Uh, but I have no radio experience, so I don't even think they're going to look at it. But if they do, I think I could really translate what I've done. Mm -hmm. So, you know, it was just a chance I took thinking if, if they're of the mind to look at me, I could probably have some good skills that would fit right in with where they are at this point. And right. I guess what intrigued me was just the fact that I seem to fit really perfectly with the job description. And also, I just love Moab and the community and have just, you know, strong, strong love and deep personal connection to the place mm. and the land. Mm-hmm. And like so many people around the world do. Right. So. I'm right. just one of many bazillions of people who love it here. You know, um, it's funny that you mentioned that because um, when our old general manager, Sarah Mead, was talking about how excited she was that you had applied and that, you know, it was likely we were going to offer you the job and she was running down your list of qualifications. And you're right, like, besides the radio experience, like, all your varied work experiences were, like, fitting together into this puzzle because this is such a strange job the one that you're holding right now, right? Mm -hmm. You you are running a radio station, so yes, Mm -hmm. there's that element of it, Mm -hmm. which is, you know, management, and it's keeping track of all those things, like you said, on those, like, films, making sure the radio factory is working. Mm -hmm. And it's also executive director of a nonprofit, which Mm -hmm. is its own thing. Mm -hmm. And it also, you know, has um, creative communities Mm -hmm. (laughs) within it. Oh, yeah. Like, how are you wrapping your mind around, um, now that you've been here for a little while, like, how are you wrapping your mind? around this place and the station and your role within it? I am taking the approach of surfing (laughs) every day right now and then letting it kind of distill when I get a quiet moment. And it's slowly the matrix is starting to make sense. Um, Mm -hmm. And I kind of understand now's the moment when I am checking in with my IT hat and now's the moment when I'm checking in with my accounting hat mm. and now's, now I've got to check in with the DJ who wants to talk about turntables you know it's wonderful <laughs> and I can do that it's just kind of a dance and a, and a surf right now so it's right. but it is coming together and I do you know if any board members are listening I promise I do plan to have a solid work <laughs> plan but it right now I'm definitely taking it all in and just figuring out okay, I think three hours a week I'm going to need to chunk out for, for this part right? And, and understanding what priorities are coming to the forefront. Right. Now that you've mm-hmm. sort of settled into Moab and mm-hmm. you're settling into your job, you know, anything on your mind about what you're looking forward to as, you know, the months go on? I am really, really looking forward to getting to know more community and settling into as much of a routine as, you know, this job allows Mm -hmm. and feeling like I'm part of something and it kind of becomes more like clockwork. So I'm I'm looking forward to that rhythm. Uh, I'm looking forward to making more friends, having more adventures and just getting to know more about this place that I love already. Yeah, I'm just enjoying exploring and experiencing this new place. Well, thank you so much, Barbara. Is there anything else that you want to share with our listeners at this Uh, point? Oh, (laughs) gosh. Yeah. 
I just want to hear your stories. So if you see me and you want to talk, I'd love to get to know you. I would love to get to know more folks and hear about who you are and what makes you tick and what you love about this place. And that's really honest. I know that sounds like, um, I don't know, a Hallmark card, but it's true. Barbara Rakes, KZMU's new general manager. She really is excited about meeting community members near and far. You can find her here at the station, high atop Rocky Road, and bopping around the Moab community. She'd love to say hi. And now the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. The Moab Valley Fire Department's district roughly covers the Moab Valley. That means if a fire happens outside of it, like along Interstate 70 or in more remote areas, well, they likely will respond because they have a handshake agreement with Grand County. But now the fire department is looking to formalize that relationship through annexation. Sophia Fisher of the Times Independent explains. Yeah, there's a big backstory here, but basically the Moab Valley Fire Department is in the process of expanding its boundaries to include basically the entire county, everything except for that in the Castle Valley uh, Fire Department District. Okay, and um, this, it, it may come as a surprise to listeners that, you know, it hadn't, the fire district did not encompass the entire county. Yes, um, yeah, technically the districts are just about the Moab Valley, and then you've got mm-hmm. a little bit north and a little bit down the river corridor, but uh, that the district has been responding to fires basically throughout the county, but it's just through an informal handshake agreement with Grand County that they do that. That's not actually within their taxing district. So why annexation? Why is the fire district seriously considering this? Um, It's not sustainable, I think, to keep responding to fires just based on an informal agreement. Um, I think, you know, there's a public safety risk for sure. Uh, The fire department is also missing out on some taxing revenue that it could gain from, you know, entities and private property in the rest of the county. Um, and, you know, Grand County has been reimbursing them for a lot of those calls to the tune of about $100,000 a year so far. But I think there are questions also as to whether they're being reimbursed enough um, for those calls. Okay, so there's a big financial component to this question Definitely. as well. Yeah. So this was discussed at the county commission meeting. What happened there? Yeah, at the county commission meeting, they discussed kind of the move into the next phase um, of this annexation process, and that's the negotiation phase. So three county commissioners, Bill Winfield, Kevin Walker and Trisha Dean got put on the subcommittee with Strategic Development Director Chris Baird, and they're going to start entering into negotiations with both staff and elected officials, the fire commission, uh, with the district. Okay, so the county, from the county's perspective, so we're talking about first, um, there's two entities here. There's the Moab Valley Fire Department, and we have Grand County. Mm-hmm. What are the financial implications for Grand County? For annexation, yeah, it's very complicated. And, and yeah. one thing that emerged when I was talking to Fire Chief TJ Brewer is there are still a good number of unknowns. Mm-hmm. Um, Grand County would, you know, save money itself because it'll theoretically stop reimbursing the fire department for those what had previously, you know, are, what are currently out of district calls. That being said, the county, you know, the fire department is asking the county to provide financial some compensation for the first few years of annexation because it's a big lift on the fire department's part to have to be legally responsible for, you know, like a million more more acres than they currently are technically. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I don't know if the county's going to necessarily save that money in the immediate term. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah. But that's probably the main impact on the county, I would say. So uh, as you said, and as you reported in the Times Independent, discussions are ongoing. Mm -hmm. Where are we? Like, is there a timeline on when this might happen? There's a whole process with annexation. It's not just going to like happen tomorrow. I think Mm -hmm. there's gonna be a protest period and I think opportunities Mm -hmm. for public input. But Mm -hmm. if they get it wrapped up by the end of the year, then theoretically, the new the new larger district could start uh, levying property taxes throughout that new district next year in 2024. So that's the hope and the idea. Okay. Anything else that you feel like you want to highlight from this piece? Um, just that there, there are a lot of complexities and a ton of different things to consider. So I definitely recommend folks check out the whole story. Um, I, I talked to fire chief, the fire chief for quite a while about he wants to maintain the same level of service to the community that they always have. Um, and that's really important for him. He wants to leave, you know, no stone unturned. He was saying that's, you know, not always possible, but he's taking it really, really seriously. And he's kind of calling on the county to step up as well and accept responsibility, both financial and and otherwise, um, to make this change happen, because it would be a very heavy lift for the fire department. And they're doing this kind of it a little bit at Grand County's behest. They Mm. don't necessarily have to do this. So it's a really interesting situation, um, but it's being taken very seriously. And it's not just going to catch anyone by surprise, I think. So. Well, more on annexation and the Moab Valley Fire Department in this week's edition of the Times Independent. And where do you want to go next, Sophia? Sure. Um, Some changes at the Grand County School District for the high school graduation that's coming up very soon. All right. This is related to um, the colors of robes. Is that right? Primarily, yeah. Tell us about the changes. Totally. So the school district has actually walked back some changes that it made back in January to some graduation traditions. So uh, in January, the school district had announced that the entire graduating class this year would wear red robes and what previously had been required was women would wear white and men would wear red. Um, And in addition, they were doing away with the tradition of having men and women proceed down a central aisle holding hands. Mm. Um, This had come after several seniors at Grand County High had done a bunch of outreach and conducted kind of a poll or a survey of seniors indicating majority uh, did support red robes. And uh, but weeks ago, they have changed that. So now students can choose whether they want to wear white or red. So there are still two different robe options, but they're not gender specific anymore. Mm. And at the same time, that kind of processional tradition is right now up in the air. Um, It's unclear if that's going to come back or not. Uh, Principal Todd Thompson told me a decision should be made on that within the next week or so. All right. So walking back some changes that were made way back in January, did you talk to anybody from the district um, or the high school about why they walked back the graduation robe color issue just a bit. Yeah, so my interview was with uh, Principal Thompson because he was the one kind of closest to this decision, closest to the students, and and basically he said that um, both alumni but also a lot of students came in expressing a very ardent desire to wear white, and it seems like some folks would have worn white whether or not they were mandated to have worn red. Um, So it was primarily by hearing those new voices after the decision had been made um, that they decided to kind of walk it back a little bit and and make this compromise. So people of any gender can choose either red or white. Correct. And right now that decision is just for this year. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure that decision has been made. Okay. In addition to the robe question, um, as you mentioned, um, there's a question mark about the procession tradition as well. Yes, that's still up in the air. And and 
as for the kind of original reasoning too behind some of the changes is the the seniors who presented to the Grand County School District Board of Education back in November said that the robes you know weren't necessarily inclusive for gender non-conforming students who didn't necessarily feel comfortable wearing the robe of their like biological gender uh, or biological sex um, and then also the processional aspect kind of felt very matrimonial and a little uncomfortable with mm-hmm. students being kind of forced to hold hands with somebody um, generally of the opposite gender just mm-hmm. I rubbed some students I think the wrong way so that was some of the reasoning provided behind them this has not been an easy change no. um this you know as you mentioned and as you reported in the times independent you know this was a student-led survey student-led process to change mm. the robes to just one color and the processional now those things are walked back a little bit um with again a, f- a student input but uh yeah this is a bumpy transition I would say it does raise some some tough questions about you know like student voices and right. the things said about respecting student voices and then kind of changing that policy and Mm -hmm. you know Dr. Thompson did really want me to emphasize that it was never one student pushing either all red robes Mm -hmm. or the red and white mix Um, it was always multiple students and he he said he thought some students had been caught off guard um, maybe by that change Mm and in the end he said that you know after this newest change has been made you know students have chosen their robe color and right now out of the 100 person graduating class about like 55 are wearing red and 45 are wearing white so he's like it's such a sizable sizable minority um, of students wearing white that it it wouldn't make sense to have changed to all red all right so complicated issues at the school district related to graduation changes but more details are in the ti where do you want to take us next certainly um the county is hoping to spice up a summer visitation by allowing a $100,000 push to uh, increase tourism from drive-in markets from May through August. Okay, drive-in markets. That means people on road trips. Is that right? Folks kind of closer. So, you know, Boise and Denver and Salt Lake City rather than like Chicago or New York. This, as you said, is a $100,000 ad campaign. Um, I'm sure there was discussion around this. There always is when it's tourism. So yeah, the $100,000 will be spent on both articles online as well as kind of traditional design ads. Mm -hmm. Um, They're going to focus on kind of heat accommodative activities, especially, you know, river rafting with the high runoff that's expected and dark skies and cultural events. Um, And generally, the commission was basically unanimously in support of this proposal. Um, Chair Jacques Hadler had said that he thought businesses had gotten off to a a rough start Mm -hmm. in March and also summers in recent years have generally been a little bit Mm -hmm. down, partially because international tourism hasn't recovered from the pandemic. So, you know, the commission was was quite in favor of this spend, but it did prompt a broader conversation around responsible recreation messaging. Um, The county has an ordinance requiring some amount of responsible recreation messaging in any tourism promotion. And Commission Vice Chair Kevin Walker said he didn't really think that some of the ads he saw in this campaign um, fulfilled that ordinance's requirements. So staff took a little bit of heat on that front. And yet, even despite this criticism, the commission did unanimously approve this this money spending in the summer. Absolutely. And and to be clear, too, Commissioner Bill Winfield actually said that he wanted to see less responsible recreation messaging. He thought some of the messaging he'd seen was like driving tourists away. Um, And he, he called some ads not the ones in this campaign but some existing ads like ridiculously over the top and and kind of like policing people so um you know in the end um i don't know if there was consensus reached necessarily around that there was some discussion of doing kind of gentler forms of responsible recreation Mm 
location messaging. Always a big discussion when it comes to um, Grand County's tourism promotion. And to be clear, you know, these are dollars the, the county has to spend. Is that right? Yes, absolutely. And as a side note, there are ongoing discussions right now about how to spend the remaining economic diversification money before we're not allowed to do that on July 1st. So that's an additional conversation happening besides these these tourism promotion uh, discussions, of course. Sophia Fisher, reporter at The Times Independent. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabtimes.com. River guides in Moab are gearing up for high water on the Colorado this spring. Maggie McGuire of the Moab Sun News speaks with Emily Arnson about the story. Well, I think that everyone with the massive amount of snow that we have still up on the mountain, I think everyone's um, looking towards this summer and anticipating like a pretty wild season on regional waterways, if not (laughs) dreading the potential for flooding. Yeah, so is the Colorado River expected to be really high? Like, are people who run the rivers going to have a good year this year? Yeah, absolutely. We talked to a bunch of different um, outfitters in Moab, and all of them are expecting particularly high seasons. And some of them are even making sure that their staff members who are doing um, particularly wild sections of the river have like extra training and are really taking things like pretty seriously this year because it could be apparently a little gnarly. Did they say, like, how gnarly? So Carla Vanderzanen, who founded CFI, the Canyonlands Field Institute, she was actually comparing this potential year to the big floods of, like, 1983 and 1984 and thinking, like, are things going to get that high? So, like, on May 1st, the river was running at uh, a little over 19,000 CFS. And that's actually... um, way above the peak of last year, which was around 16,000. So this is still early in the season. We're not even really seeing the runoff from the mountain yet. So it does look like it's going to be a big year. Um, Mike Hughes from Adrift Adventures, he was even anticipating that the river itself might get up to 80 or 90,000 CFS. But these are all estimates. But I think that Everyone agrees that it's going to be like a big year for rafting rivers. Um, I know a lot of people are really looking forward to kind of those ephemeral rivers, um, being able to to kind of sneak by those at a, at a high water season. Yeah. Can you talk more about those ephemeral rivers? Yeah. I mean, we all know like there's a couple, you know, that are really cool that you don't get to do all that often. And now with the the rise of um, kind of affordable pack rafts, um, you know, it's really expanding. I think the um, amount of places that people in Moab are, are wanting to go to to get on a waterway, particularly things like the, the Muddy and even the San Rafael at high water, it's a lot more accessible. So, you know, not only for residents who like doing that kind of stuff recreationally, but also for these outfitters, even looking at the daily, making plans for, you know, taking people out on the river, those plans change a lot. The quality of the, the trip changes a lot with that much water in, a, in the Colorado And maybe a segue to talk about what happened at the county meeting, unless there was something else you wanted to talk about. So the meetings are always interesting. So they are continuing to evaluate um, proposals for the alternative dwelling um, ordinance, which is an ordinance that allows sort of non-traditional housing 
Um, and that means like RV parks that are for workforce housing. It could be tiny houses, things of that nature. So yeah, these were requests to rezone existing parcels of land to use the um, kind of experimental alternative dwelling overlay that was um, passed this year. This is a temporary ordinance that they're kind of like figuring out if this is something that could work to increase the amount of workforce housing or, you know, housing just for people who literally work in Moab. Um, so this ordinance broadens the categories to include RV parks, um, and other kind of non-traditional um, housing arrangements. RV parks, of course, like people who work in Moab have always kind of lived in kind of casual RV parks. Um, one of the ones that kind of started this whole conversation was a kind of semi-traditional encampment of, of NAVTEC guides. And actually this time um, at this commission hearing, um, they got approval to, to use the alternative dwelling overlay for that piece of property. Yeah. And where is that property? That property is over by the, the waste treatment facility. It's usually referred to like at by NavTech guys. Um, it's referred to as the swamp um, because the town is growing so much. It's it's those growing pains and that that needs to sort of like formalize and, and codify some aspects of Moab. So it'll be really interesting to see how how the swamp develops. Maggie McGuire, editor at the Moab Sun News. Subscription info and more stories can be found at moabsunnews.com. That's it for the weekly newsreel, where we check in with reporters on their latest stories of the Moab area. You can find the pieces that were mentioned today in the show notes on our website, kzmu.org, or wherever you listen to the KZMU News podcast. As always, thanks for tuning in and supporting KZMU, community-powered radio.